I'm Lucy. And I'm Michelle. Welcome to yet another episode of Tudoriferous, the biographical podcast that examines lives in the Tudor era. And today, Rodrigo de Puebla. Dr. Rodrigo de Puebla. We have a a few... We have a few parochial messages, first of all. Okay. And we have have some more Patreon members to thank. Yay! Sarah Akers, Susanna M, Anna Alec, Hannah Ford with two O's, and Janet Davis. Wow, thank you. Welcome. Uh, Sarah Akers has agreed to do an episode with us because she hates... Henry the Seventh. Really? <laughs> so it'd be interesting to see why she hates him so very much. Yeah. So. Oh, interesting. Second parochial message. It seems quite apt to be announcing this in Dear Puebla's episode, but we now have the result of who was the worst dad competition. Ooh, who did they decide? Um, this is who treated Catherine of Aragon worse, her father-in-law Henry the Seventh, or her father Ferdinand of Aragon. And I can tell you now that Ar- that Ferdinand got just under thirty six percent of the votes, really? and Henry got just over sixty four. Wow! So I would say that that proves that they should both be ashamed of yes, themselves. Yes, they should. I wonder what the result would have been if you had just put in worst male and added in Henry the Eighth. Well, <laughs> we don't want to prejudge him. We have got the <laughs> And I think Catherine will probably be blamed a Puebla rather than either of them, as we'll discover next next time. Oh. And third, oh yes, thirdly, I made a discovery on my phone. Oh? Yeah. Hang on. Just just get in here. Oh, there's a picture of, someone sent me a picture of the cat. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Henry the Seventh. According to Wikipedia, Henry VIII was King of England from 1509 until his death in 1547. Oh dear. No, Henry VII. According to Wikipedia, Henry VIII was King of England <laughs> wow. from 1509. The only way you can get to Henry VII is asking for Henry Tudor. Really? Yes. That's ridiculous. It is. It just ignores me completely. Yeah. Yeah. Shame on you. <laughs> I know. He does exist. Well, I hope he exists. We've done a year and a half on him. <laughs> so, yeah, that's just my three peregrine messages. I loved researching De Puebla. Oh? Especially after having done Bray. Okay. Because Bray, he was just a series of government posts, wasn't yes. he? Yes. We didn't get to, get to the human being at all. No. And De Puebla is the complete opposite. Ooh. He's a fully rounded person with all oh. those complications and conflictions in his personality that proper people have. Awesome. Yeah. He's also an invaluable witness because he's our early Tudor, Eustace Chapuis. Right. Yes. There's all sorts of things we might not have known if he hadn't been constantly writing back to Spain and if they hadn't been constantly <laughs> writing to him, <laughs> telling him to do things. He was where the action was, and he, t- he talked to people, he gathered information, and he not only recorded history, he made it, since he influenced both Henry and Ferdinand and Isabella. Did he, though? Do you think he actually did? Yes. Okay. He certainly did, yeah. I found several uh, examples of him taking the initiative and them listening. Sometimes they wish they hadn't, but they did <laughs> listen to him. <laughs> well, I mean, Ambassador is what you're supposed to listen to. He's there on the ground. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, okay. he doesn't always get it right, but um, 
and yet, and yet, he was the constant butt of contempt from, it seems, absolutely everyone. Well, he was Jewish. He was Jew. Well, he wasn't Jew. He was a confessor. Oh, no, in fact, his parents converted. Yes. So he was second generation, but it really didn't seem to make any difference no. at all. No, no, I'm just remembering the Day Ayala episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he pops up. I really felt for him. I felt so sorry for Aww. him. <laughs> I'll be quoting a lot from the Spanish calendar rolls in this episode since we have everyone's actual words. Yes, isn't that lovely? Yeah, you get to see the difference in writing styles between all mm-hmm. these people. So come with me, if you will. It's some years after De Puebla's death, jumping ahead a little bit here. His sons still haven't managed to sort out all his paperwork. There are some papers that haven't even been looked at yet. With a sigh, they drag out yet another box of correspondence, lists, bills, demands for money, begging letters sent to Spain. They can't just leave them. There may be something of historical importance. And anyway, they owe it to the old man. They start sifting through the yellowing documents, setting aside those that look important. It's tedious work. Suddenly, one of them gives a shout. I've got it, he cries. I found her way out. That bloated king is not going to get his divorce after all. <gasps> oh, so Todd, we're jumping ahead. Yes. <laughs> De Pueblo was born, presumably in Castile. I can't be more precise than that. And I can't tell you when. <laughs> he must have been married since he had children. It doesn't automatically follow, but I was he probably say. was. <laughs> but his wife must have died before 1498 when Henry VII, taking pity on his impoverishment, offered him a lucrative marriage. Sorry, Henry VII offered him yeah. a lucrative marriage? He did. Well, we'll see. We'll talk about it later. But yes, he did. Hmm. Must have liked him then. I think he did. Okay. Hmm. That's a surprise the, right off the, the bat. The only one who did. I think, yes. I think, I get the impression he quite admired him, but that's only an impression. Okay. And maybe it's just compared to everybody else who seemed to think he was a bumbling buffoon. <laughs> <laughs> an embarrassment. He studied canon and civil law. We don't know where. Don't worry, once he gets to England, it becomes much more detailed. It's not going to be like this all the way. It's not a Francis, uh, I've forgotten his name even, Francis Lovell. Lovell. <laughs> <laughs> De Puebla was in England temporarily in 1488 to 9, organising the marriage between the baby, Prince Arthur, and the toddler, Catherine of Aragon. Oh, he was there mm. right at that time. Right at the beginning. Yeah, he wow. shared this role with another diplomat, Sepulveda, you should go with, Sepulveda. Something like that. I put that down to the fact that Ferdinand felt that you can't have too many diplomats. But maybe it's a safety measure because there's disease. And we get the sweating sickness at this time. Right. And, and you have you've to got travel. to get back and forth across the river, the, the sea. Yeah. Did they go on separate boats? <laughs> I don't know. That makes sense, wouldn't it? Yes, it does. Charles and William never going on the same plane. <laughs> yeah. If you send two diplomats over the seas, you double your chances of them, one of them actually getting there. And living long enough to start sending stuff back. Gosh, that really tells you something about the lifespan of the time. (laughs) Oh, dear. The diplomat's specific instructions, as recorded in the invaluable Spanish calendar roles, were one, to conclude a treaty of marriage between Princess Catherine and Arthur, Prince of Wales. Two, to concert with the commissioners of Henry the amount of of the marriage portion 
and the condition of its payment and repayment in case of the dissolution of the marriage. And you can guess who one of the uh, commissioners was. Oh, De Ayala. No. What? Nope. Whenever I ask you, who do you think it is? Jasper Tudor. No, <laughs> Giles Dobney. <laughs> oh, Dobney. Oh, jeez. Oh, he's done so much, but nobody knows anything about him. Yeah, I'm determined to do an episode on him once we just have to do a lot of digging. And we're going to say Dobney. <laughs> we're Dab- not saying Dabney. No, no, I just, I just came across a spelling of it, D-O-B-N-E-Y. And I know vowels change... And he was from Somerset, so Darbney, probably, I don't know. But we'll stick with the one we've got and leave the National Trust to call him Dabney. (laughs) And number three, to concert the amount and conditions of the jointure to be given by Henry to the Princess Catherine. So easy. That won't take long. (laughs) 1488. Ferdinand had hoped to negotiate for a smaller dowry. But the English commissioners were adamant about the dowry, insisting on 200,000 crowns. Do we have a comparison? I don't remember. Did we get what Juana's dowry was? I don't know. When we come to her, I'll try and remember to... I'll, I'll jot it down and lose the bit of paper and try and remember yeah. to... Yeah, because at first I think, oh, what a cheapskate. But he's got five daughters to give dowries to. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they're, oh gosh, they're like the Bennets, aren't they? Yes. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> this was in April. Later, this amount seems to have been lowered since a quote from the calendar roll in July says, quote, Richard, Bishop of Exeter, that's your lovely Richard Fox, yes. and Giles Dobney of Dobney, that's Giles Dobney, <laughs> in their quality of commissioners of Henry VII, declare to Rodrigo Gundisalvi de Puebla, and Juan de Sepulveda, ambassadors of Ferdinand and Isabella, that the marriage portion of the Princess Catherine is expected to be 200,000 gold scudos. And every scudo was to be the value of four shillings and tuppence. Yes, that was the more higher quality. Well, the uh, crown should be five shillings, not four shillings and tuppence. So there seems to be a bit of a change, but not as much of a change as it has been, because it says, then, then there's a quote from July... And the Spanish complained that, quote, the English commissioners asked five times as much as they had in Spain, unquote. So they seem to be trying it on a bit now. I don't understand that sentence, as in they don't have that much money in Spain? They'd done negotiations before in Spain. And then once the Spanish uh, ambassadors got to England, they suddenly asked the for English more. were asking for five, t- five times as much more. Okay, I thought maybe it was... Um that they were asking five times as much as the Spanish had asked for their son's wife. The Spanish ambassadors complained that the English were unreasonable in their demands. And to quote the Spanish Spanish calendar rolls, bear, uh, quote, bearing in mind what happens every day to the kings of England, it's surprising that Ferdinand and Isabella should dare to give their daughter at all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But then it goes on to say, this was said with great courtesy. How do you say that with courtesy? In order that they might not feel displeasure. <laughs> Great courtesy. Hmm. No. A smile. Yeah. <laughs> the English commissioners abated one third. So we're going down. The Spaniards proposed that, as there was sufficient time, two or four persons should be should be selected as umpires. <laughs> I like the choice of translation of umpires. <laughs> the 
The English commissioners declined it and gave their reasons, but sadly we don't know what they are. The Spanish desired the English to name their lowest price. The English abated one half. So we're creeping down. The Spaniards said that this marriage would be so advantageous to the King of England that he ought to content himself with what's generally given for prince, with princesses of Wales, So which implies that Juana wasn't getting as much as this. Oh. The English desired to have everything defined in order to avoid disputes after the conclusion of the marriage. <laughs> well, that was wishful thinking. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Spanish ambassadors offered one-fourth, and the English asked why. As the money does not come out of the strong boxes of the king and queen, but out of the pockets of their subjects. Why, why should they not be more liberal, unquote? Oh, dear. Hmm. It's not really one important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you get it out of your taxes. It doesn't matter. Oh, dear. You're not paying for it yourself. This was eventually sorted out, and the calendar rolls went on to say, quote, One half of it is to be paid as soon as the princess arrives in England, and the other half on the day of the solemnisation of her marriage. All such Spanish subjects as reside in London are to be security for the punctual payment of it. <gasps> oh dear! See, I wonder what happened to them because it was there was it no was punctual paid. payments. No. Were they all imprisoned? I've no idea. I couldn't. I'd had a look round. It was one of these things which is quite difficult to know what you're looking for, really, isn't it? That how how do you get into this? And it's not like they kept great records in prisoners. Hmm. Or did they have to pay money to the king until it was paid? Oh. Hmm. Ooh, that not... was all I could find on that. That's, yeah, I thought, ooh, ouch. Yeah, that's not good. One, the princess is to be endowed with a third part of the revenues of Wales, Cornwall and Chester. Two, Ferdinand and Isabella are to send the princess in a decent manner and at their own expense to London. Three, they're to dress their daughter suitably to her rank and give her as many jewels, etc., for her personal use as to becomes her position. And four, the princess is to succeed to all property that may descend to her in Spain, unquote. So what if they're sending her in a decent manner? What did they think they were going to do? Stick her in a cage and ship her in the hold? <laughs> I don't know. I thought, yeah, she should not be sent over wearing her tracky bottoms and a bobble <laughs> hat or something. Wear some, wear some decent clothes. Because <laughs> it goes on, because it gets quite picky. Since, quote, King Henry asked them to bind themselves to give their daughter ornaments and apparel without deducting the amount from the marriage portion. Ah. Such a proceeding is against custom. Husbands provide the dresses of their wives. They, Ferdinand and Isabella, are willing to buy as many dresses and ornaments for the Princess Catherine as the English wish, provided the cost of them be deducted from the marriage portion. And if not, they will give what they think proper, unquote. Oh. So... Catherine is right in the middle of all this. I think I don't know how old she is at this point, but a small child still. Yes. And yet there's already wrangling over her. Oh, goodness. I hope she never found out. Mm. The discussions also included an attempt to extract a promise from Henry that as part of this alliance, he would wage war on France. And he was none too keen on this idea. The Puebla understood Henry's difficulties with this since the king had reason to be grateful to France, as we've heard many times. But the calendar roll says, quote, As the English find that de Puebla is scandalised and discontented with this answer, they, that's Henry's commissioners Fox and Dobney, 
take a maths book and swear it maths book, not a maths book, and swear in a most solemn way before a crucifix that it is the will of the King of England first to conclude the alliance and marriage and afterwards to make war upon the King of France according to the bidding of Ferdinand and Isabella, unquote. Now, this to me sounds like Henry won't promise anything up front, mm-hmm. but after everything's been signed and sealed, he'll fall into line with this war, with France, thing, unless he can get out of it somehow. Oh, like when they don't pay the dowry. Hmm. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's been quite clever there, I think. Yeah. Quote, Henry desired de Puebla and Sepulveda to go and see the Prince of Wales who was staying 12 miles from London. On our arrival, we discovered such excellent qualities in the prince as are quite incredible. And they were invited to see the prince naked and afterwards to look at him asleep. (laughs) I don't know why they had to watch him sleep. I don't know. He appeared to us so admirable that whatever praise, commendation or flattery anyone might be capable of speaking or writing would only be the truth in this case, unquote. How can you say that of an infant? Yeah, I mean, he's baby. He's tiny little mite at this point. <laughs> yes, and excep- exceptionally tiny since he was premature. Mm. Well, was he premature or was he... Um... Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're allowed... Um, well, we got, we got an episode on um, the church's view of premarital sexual relations. And uh, as long as you were planning to get married, it was... It's, fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's okay. okay. But it is striking how over the top the description is. Because, I don't know, babies are much for muchness, really, unless they're your own, aren't they? But this this one is incredible and magnificent. Ferdinand had a good grumble because better terms had not been obtained. But de Puebla had found Henry's power was more secure than had been believed. And Mm. by the sound of it, more secure than we'd given him credit for. Yes. Given that we're only three years into his reign. And pretty much all the Yorkist claimants, the real Yorkist claimants, had been taken care of. De Puebla was definite in his opinion that an alliance should be concluded. So that implies that Ferdinand and Isabella might have been getting cold feet, but he was saying, no, no, it's quite safe here. She'll be all right. The result was that in the December of that year, Thomas Savage and Richard Nanfan, 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 accompanied by Roger Machado, travelled to Spain and obtained a treaty which, though it did give Ferdinand the advantage, they gave him much less of an advantage than he had been expecting. So, But this shows that Ferdinand respected de Puebla's opinion because he went with it, even if he grumbled about yes. it afterwards. Yeah. And I'm toying with the idea of doing a special episode on the Treaty of Medina del Campo since, well, we get to say Nanfan a lot. As both. <laughs> <laughs> and Roger Machado, I didn't discover this when I did his episode, wrote a detailed journal of the voyage, oh. which, yeah, which apparently gives fascinating insights on what it's like to sail across across the sea in December. Oh. And just when you think it's all sorted out, the following year, de Puebla states that, quote, it has been agreed between him, the Bishop of Exeter, that's Fox, and the Lord Privy Seal, that's um, Dobney, he's had a promotion, that one-fourth of the marriage portion shall be payable in ornaments, jewels, and belongings of the princess. The English ambassadors, Savage and Nanfan, on the contrary, deny that any such arrangement has been made. The word of honour and oath of the Bishop of Exeter and the Lord Privy Seal are to be given on this question, unquote. It's almost as if they just don't write things down, isn't it? Before you leave, here is the list. 
Initial, yes. please. <laughs> this is what initial every page. Yes. <laughs> every line item. <laughs> yes. 1489. In 1489, De Puebla was given instructions by Ferdinand and Isabella to reconcile Henry and Maximilian. Oh. Just a little thing. Yeah. 1489. Was was Edmund with Maximilian yet? I don't No, I think don't think so, so. Because Maximilian, at this present moment, is languishing in a spice depot in Bruges. Right. Okay. Watching his jester have his head chopped off. <laughs> so I'm wondering if they, Ferdinand and Isabella thought, right, strike now because he's vulnerable. Yes. He'll make friends with anybody at the moment, even, even Henry. Oh, goodness. Also, it turns out that the sub subterfuge behind the marriage proposition between James IV of Scotland and a Spanish princess was all de Puebla's idea. Really? So from Ferdinand and Isabella, quote, respecting the Scotch marriage, and apologies to Scottish people, because I know they don't like being called Scotch, but that's what they called them then. Respecting the Scotch marriage, de Puebla has certainly acted with, best, with the best intentions but it was not wise to say that Donna Juana was a legitimate daughter of Ferdinand by a clandestine marriage. The consequences might be very serious. He must tell the Scotch ambassadors the truth before they leave, because it would be better that they should learn it from him than from strangers, unquote. So they were offering him an illegitimate Juana? Yeah. He, he has two daughters named Juana? Yeah, you must have two Juanas, yes. Mind you, it seems that everyone's called Juana, so it's not... Perhaps it's quite likely you might have. Okay. It's the same as Mary in England. Everybody's Mary. Hmm. Everyone's Margaret at the moment. Yes. <laughs> Wading knee deep in Margaret. They go on to say, quote, the Scots have... Again, apologies to any Scottish people here. The, Scotch, the Scots have such a very good opinion of themselves as to pretend they can induce the King of France to restore the counties of Rossillon and Cerdagna to Spain. And those are those places that Ferdinand was so obsessed with getting back. Whoops. Puebla can therefore say that they shall have an Infanta of Spain as soon as they effect the restoration of the said counties, unquote. And here's the sneaky bit. Quote, they will not be able to do it and will lose much time in unpleasant negotiations which perhaps might end in a quarrel with France. At all events, pending the negotiations, they would not assist France against Spain, unquote. <laughs> so, yes, we'll offer them one of our daughters on this condition because we know it's a bit like setting, you know, fairy tales saying you've got to spin a ton of gold or something. Yes. <laughs> they think they won't be able to do it, so we're quite safe. Yeah. So that was the end of De Puebla's first commission in England. And I don't know if he ever thought he would be going back there. I'm just, I'm stumped here because I'm pretty sure James wasn't thinking of an illegitimate daughter. No, he definitely wasn't. No. And that's why. But they thought, if he finds out, we're going to be in big trouble. Yeah. I mean, they thought, they thought oh, they're good enough to say, well, De Puebla did it for the for the right reasons, but... It's mm. a bit dodgy. And since they do have a daughter named Juana. Mm. Hmm. Hmm. No, no, no. We agreed on this Juana. Not that yeah. Juana. Yeah, James could put his foot down and say, I want the one I thought I was going to get. Yes. Yeah, I think De Puebla might have gone a little beyond his remit there. Yes. Lying to royalty of other countries. But isn't that what every diplomat does? Oh, yes. 
<laughs> but I think this time Ferdinand thought, yeah, but he might get found out this time. <laughs> That's the important bit. <laughs> 1494. Charles VIII of France's invasion of Italy prompted De Puebla's next more permanent assignment from 1494 to 1509. And by more permanent, I mean that De Puebla spent the rest of his life in England despite the attempts of just about everyone to get him sent home. <laughs> the Puebla complained that his lodgings in a city monastery were, quote, the most public place in the whole of England, unquote. So crowded were they with, quote, sharp spies, unquote, and the king's officers trawling for information. <laughs> now I'm just seeing people <laughs> hovering over the shoulder as they're talking. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you just imagine they're all sort of shoulder to shoulder and you can't yes. go anywhere private and... So later, De Puebla was to move to a rather scruffy suite of rooms in Austin Friars. And I don't know how the author of that quote knew that the rooms were scruffy. I don't know. Just making assumptions from... The fact that it's a friars? Or do, I was thinking of the appearance of De Puebla himself. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it was pure fluke that he ended up in England. Quote, Ferdinand and Isabella had promised the English ambassador, who had come to Barcelona, to send an embassy to England which, however, had been delayed by the illness of Sassiola, who was meant to be going, who overtook him on his way thither. De Puebla goes in his place, unquote. So he was a last-minute substitute. Oh. Which was to change his life quite a lot, really. This no kidding. Last-minute choice. And he was thrown in at the deep end. So he's just got there. Quote, After the departure of De Puebla, a league was concluded between the Pope, Spain, the King of the Romans, that's Maximilian, and the Dukes of Venice and Milan, which is now being proclaimed in the states of all the Confederates. In case Henry is not yet informed of the League, De Puebla is ordered to make it known to him. Henry can very well enter into it without prejudice to anyone. De Puebla is further to inquire whether the King of France has fulfilled all his promises to Henry, though it's very improbable since he's not being faithful to them or to the King of the Romans. There's a sort of meow yeah. <laughs> Offer again to reconcile Henry with the King of the Romans, unquote. So he's barely landed on English soil and he's been told to get Henry into the Holy League, cause a rift between England and France and make Henry and Maximilian best, best buddies. So, Good luck! Yeah. Quote, Although it has been intimated to De Puebla that he must speak to the King of England as though everything came from himself, he may also speak in the name of Ferdinand and Isabella if he thinks it convenient but at all events, it must be kept secret, unquote. So they obviously don't really want to be shown to be pulling the strings. They, they, ah. It's as though De Puebla had come up with this idea off his yes. own bat, since he, since he obviously has a reputation for that sort of thing. <laughs> but it was soon reiterated, these instructions, as the Pope, no less, Pope Alexander VI, to Dr. De Puebla, quote, sent a brief for the King of England, which he must deliver. He must do all in his power to obtain the ends expressed in it. The League is concluded for the benefit of Christendom, the safety of the Confederates, and the welfare of Italy, but not to the prejudice of anyone, which is a lie. I mean, obviously, it's the prejudice of France. That's the whole point of the damn thing. Yeah. Henry may enter it without scruple. Another brief for the King of Scotland is enclosed, which he also must deliver. He must likewise persuade the King of Scotland to become a member of the League, unquote. So, oh, it's... It's another example of one of those leaders just sort of throwing out instructions like confetti and expecting it all to be done instantly. Because it's quite a big thing. 
Yeah, to somebody else's diplomat. Yeah, uh, talking about a country that he is not a diplomat of. <laughs> yes. Yes, and we, want, we don't just want Henry, we want James, James as well. And we already know that James, what James says, because he just says, well, what's in it for me? Yeah. Yeah, nothing. Okay, I'm, I'm out. Yes. 1496. In January, Isabella told de Puebla that he, quote, must, by roundabout ways and with all the subtlety at his command, manage the King of England and induce him step by step to participate in the war against France. If Henry lend his assistance against France, they will assist him against him of York, unquote. Meaning Perkin, but it's an interesting way of naming him. Him of York. I mean, yes. Because that's accepting him as a Yorkist. It is. Accepting hmm. him as the Yorkist, it sounds to me. Mm-hmm. And again in July, quote, The King of France assembles as great an army as he can. Considering the weakness of Italy, there is no doubt that he will conquer it very soon if the King of England and the King and Queen of Spain do not henceforth assist it effectively. You must request him, it's Henry, in all our names, to send succour without delay and not permit the church to be trampled. No. Is that the real reason? Is it really all about the church? Mm, no. <laughs> you must speak not only to the king, but to all Britons. Unquote. And in return, Isabella promised to finalise the wedding between Catherine and Arthur and to help in the capture of Perkin, whom she's now calling the boy in Scotland. In other words, she's blackmailing Henry. Yes. And I don't know how De Puebla was expected to talk to all Britons. But incidentally, De Puebla seems to have misunderstood the nature of the situation of Perkin in of Scotland, believing he was a prisoner. And that's the story he sent back to Ferdinand and Isabella. So maybe they thought it was just a matter of buying a prisoner because they might not have realised that James uh -huh. had invested a lot of money and had actually given a member of his family to Perkin. Yes. So he wasn't going to back down so easily and lose face. But De Ayala was sending them reports. Hmm. How could you get that confused when De Ayala was well aware that he oh, was always maybe, there? Yes, but that's what that's what De Puebla sent back to them. I think he probably got a letter back from Isabel, Isabella saying, you idiots. Because <laughs> <laughs> she instructed De Puebla to give Henry a little lecture on how easily kingdoms were lost and won. How risky a war might be with, quote, him who calls himself the Duke of York, unquote. Furthermore, quote, in feats of arms, no one must ever place his hopes in an abundance of power or soldiers, as it often turns out that smaller forces triumph over larger ones, unquote. Hmm. Hmm. We've seen that somewhere before. But is it really within the remit of the ambassador to give the monarch in whose kingdom he's a guest a little lecture? No. Mm. Although it seems to be a common thing. We've yeah. seen that in other places. Perkin mm. was defeated on the 21st of September 1496, and Henry wrote personally to our most beloved de Puebla to give him the good news. And he was so grateful for the help de Puebla had given him, he asked Ferdinand of Aragon if he could reward his ambassador with an English bishopric. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm going to make him a judgment. Well, he does have canon law. Mm. But. But. What did he do? What did he do that deserved that reward? I think I think Henry was just so chuffed at 
getting Perkin that he probably just gave reports about all over the place. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. The letter from Henry to Ferdinand, it's very fulsome in his praise of de Puebla as well. Quote, a cathedral church has lately become vacant, has long considered, because they always start, they don't say I have long considered, Mm -hmm. or he has long considered, they always go, has long considered what person must, must deserve it and has come to the conclusion that no man is more meritorious and more worthy of it than de Puebla, who has been so many years their ambassador in England and who is distinguished by the portliness of his body. The word is <laughs> the word in Latin is dignitate. So I'm not sure why the translator chose portliness. Portliness, yes, that's not dignitate. <laughs> and renowned for his intelligence, fidelity, knowledge and industry in the mission entrusted to him has therefore offered him the said preferment as a small recompense for the services he has rendered to Spain and England. De Puebla has, however, answered that he could not accept the preferments for reasons well known to himself. I wish they'd stop saying that. I wish they'd tell us the damn reasons. <laughs> All persuasions have remained without effect, unquote. And the calendar rolls go on, quote, Since De Puebla could not be induced to accept a church preferment, he was asked whether he would also refuse an honourable marriage offered to him. After many excuses, he has at last been persuaded, principally by the Queen, to accept the marriage, but under the express condition that his King and Queen must first give him their consent. That's uh, Ferdinand Isabella. Wishing to marry de Puebla well in England, he and his Queen beg them to grant their, not de Puebla's, that was in the calendar roll, it says brackets, not de Puebla's, prayers and give their consent. The marriage will be a great advantage to Princess Catherine when she comes to live in England, unquote. Huh. So he doesn't seem keen, I would say. No. He did a lot of persuading and then say, oh, well, all right, I'll do it if Ferdinand and Isabella don't mind. Okay. And the sons that you've mentioned in the Come With Me, are they from the English wife or from the Spanish wife? The previous. Okay. Because there isn't an English wife. Ah, he, he doesn't, doesn't accept it. Okay. He doesn't do it. One source I read said that the request for the bishopric was denied by Ferdinand. But another said to Puebla refused the offer because it made him look as if he worked for Henry rather than for Spain. Okay. Which it really does if you get an English bishop. But then... Yes, it does. Yeah. I was going to say, but then Castellesi and several others have been given... Livings. Jobs in this country, but yes. yes. Hmm. Maybe he didn't want to be beholden to Henry, and maybe he didn't want to give his enemies ammunition to use against him. As we'll see, both Catherine of Aragon and De Ayala will later claim that De Puebla had gone native... And he was clandestinely working for Henry and he was not to be trusted. Mm. So perhaps there was already a rumour going around the court and, and that's why um, de Puebla thought, oh, best not. Yeah. Although it had been a nice little learner for him, which he really needs. Yes, since he's not getting paid. No. De Ayla was sent on a special errand from Scotland to England in, in October 1496. Yeah, just, just a short mission. <laughs> he'd, he'd be back in Scotland in no time. He remained there until 1502. <laughs> and de Puebla constantly complained about him to Ferdinand and Isabella and tried to get him sent back either to Spain or to Scotland. Just I would not, too. Not he here. Disturbance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the, in the de, de Puebla um, <laughs> faction, I'm definitely team de Puebla. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, even though I thought de Ayala was hilarious. Hmm. Well, he was, yeah, he was hilarious, and he was a man who excelled in social situations. He was a charmer, 
an easy talker. He befriended people easily and mm -hmm. was able to ingratiate himself. He may have been a thoroughly amoral man. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody liked him. Everyone liked him. I mean, I can say especially for a bishop, which he was. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone liked him. Everyone except one. <laughs> but Dayela had all the attributes that De Puebla lacked. And he wasn't Jewish. He'd always been a Christian. Yeah. Converting to Christianity, as de Puebla's parents had done, did nothing to expel anti-Semitism. But it's no wonder that de Puebla hated de Ayala. <laughs> <laughs> Quote, this is from de, de Puebla. They, they, Ferdinand and Isabella, will already have observed how Don Pedro de Ayala, after having been dismissed by the king, has notwithstanding remained in England six months and longer. He styles himself, moreover, the ambassador of their highnesses to England as well as, and even more than, to Scotland, and has dared to speak in that capacity to Henry. Has remonstrated with him, but in vain. Dayela states that he's been furnished with letters and credentials from their highnesses, that's Ferdinand and Isabella, and has shown him a letter from the Queen to Henry. Their highnesses must decide, from what he has written, whether all this is for the good of their service or not, unquote. De Puebla must have felt completely betrayed when he saw the letter from Isabella saying, oh, that's oh. all right. Oh, yeah. De Ayla's fine. Yeah. In April, Maximilian wrote to De Puebla, with gritted teeth, I should imagine, <laughs> empowering him, quote, to treat and conclude with the commissioners of the other members of the League the conditions on which Henry VII is to be admitted, unquote. <gasps> Ooh. That was for the Holy League. There's a little note under this entry which says, quote, The whole document is written by Maximilian himself without a single error. <laughs> so well done. <laughs> but this shows it was not just Ferdinand and Isabella or indeed Henry who expected De Puebla to sort everything out in England. He was constantly given huge responsibilities. The Holy League, the wedding, war with France, Perkin, relations with Scotland, reconciliation with Maximilian. All this falls, falls on de Puebla's shoulders. And as far as I know, de Ayala didn't have any, didn't have an official remit in England, and certainly not as extensive as de Puebla's. So he was able just to swan around the court, ingratiating himself with everyone, oh, while gosh. de Puebla got on with all the donkey oh, work. Oh, gosh, that would make me so angry. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, this was De, De Puebla's speech to Henry. I did say I would be quoting a lot, but then why not? If It makes more sense to hear their words than for me to paraphrase everything. Uh, De Puebla's speech to Henry, exhorting him to join the League. And it's quite long, but it shows how he talked to Henry. Quote, It is now more than a year that I have been in Your Majesty's kingdom. The principal object of my mission was to inform Your Majesty of the great embarrassments of the Pope. Your Majesty assured... I think embarrassments must have had a stronger, stronger meaning then. Not just, yes, making him blush. Your Majesty assured me in reply that no prince could be animated by greater love and devotion to the Pope. And no one was more ready to show it by deeds than yourself. And given that the Pope was Rodrigo Borgia, I mean, that's not, <laughs> so, not something you'd want to boast about, is it? No. No. As soon as the Pope had made known to you his wishes... You would not only send him aid and succour, but also make war upon all his adversaries. Your Majesty knows that the Pope has communicated his great necessities to you in four or five briefs, <laughs> and especially in his last brief, 
read in public sitting of this council, he exhorted you, for God's sake, as, as being your sovereign and the, in the name of all the princes of the League, to be in earnest and really to execute what you had promised, in order <laughs> thereby to serve the cause of God and your own cause by preventing your enemy from growing stronger. He bade you bear in mind that in your time the King of France had taken Brittany, which once formed a principal part of the Kingdom of England, and had always been her ally. To remember further that the King and Queen of Spain, although much, much occupied against the war against the Moors, has sent at his and his ambassador's request a succour of 5,000 lances. So, you know, they've done their bit, but despite being very, very busy. <laughs> <laughs> Moreover, Your Majesty must not forget that you are obliged to do it <laughs> by respect to God and conscience and in accordance to the law and, and the church. And that... For not doing it, some princes and emperors have been deprived of their dignity, unquote. Now, I think that would count as a threat. Yes, <laughs> it is to me. <laughs> but it seems curious that an ambassador can get away with standing in front of a king and saying, you promised the duff and you're not delivering. Mm. So, you know, pull your finger out and get on with it. <laughs> then we have the transcript of Henry's response. Which which you'd expect would be, who the hell are you yes. to talk to me like that? Quote, A long deliberation between Henry and his council followed. The answer of the king was that he had shown great contempt to the French ambassadors in the presence of de Puebla. So, so he's saying, look, I've done my bit. I was really nasty to the French ambassadors. <laughs> that he's asked a large sum of money from the king of France and has also sent to exhort and even request him to desist from the war. <laughs> kindly desist from the war yes and that if the king of france would not do so he'd be obliged to do his duty that he had likewise sent his ambassador the pope and the king of the romans to treat about his entry into the league and the answer must, must soon arrive and we might therefore have patience and wait for it and he hoped it would all end well and be amicably arranged unquote oh so i think that henry was quite happy for that answer to get lost in the post yes he seems to be stalling. He always stalls. I wonder if mm. that's where his granddaughter picked it up from. Ah. But I don't get the impression that he's dithering. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. He yes. Just keep, keeps putting um, obstacles in the way mm -hmm. and saying, no, I, I will do it. I will do it. We'll just wait for this, this letter. We'll just wait for until he's done this. We'll just wait for that. And it never gets done. Anyway, that was what was said in front of the council. De Puebla goes on to tell us what Henry said once they were alone. Quote, the king asked me why I had affronted him so much when I knew that he would do more from love of your highnesses than for all the rest of the world. For your highnesses are the most Christian of all princes. He esteemed you more than all the other princes together. What he is determined to do at present is the following. Call together all his soldiers in the kingdom and review them. At the same time, arm the whole of his navy. That would cause uneasiness and fear to the King of France, unquote. And cost a fortune. Still stalling tactics, isn't it? I'm not committing to anything, but once the King of France sees me reviewing my troops and generally looking looking as if I might do something, yes. you know, the whole thing will just collapse. He'll be I so terrified. Scary. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like pay, playing dress-up. <laughs> So, yeah. 
Yeah, I suppose if they just got uniforms for thousands and th- tens of thousands of people and said, just just wear this all the time. Yeah. And then the, the French ambassadors would be going back saying, they've got millions of soldiers. Yes. That's what you should have done. Yes. You fool, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> Isabella then sent de Puebla a letter which started, quote, I am astonished at you, unquote. But sadly, the rest of the manuscript is so decayed that we can't read any more of it. Oh, no! I would have loved (laughs) to have read that! (laughs) But I really don't think you want to receive a letter from Isabella that starts, I am astonished at you. No! (laughs) I noticed there's a difference in the writing styles of Ferdinand and Isabella. Ferdinand is much more diplomatic. There's usually a bit of preamble before before he states what he wants. (laughs) Yes. Isabella comes straight in with what she wants, as if she's just sort of burst into the room. So, and another thing. <laughs> Later, she seems to accept that accepted Puebla's limitations with Henry, because he's hardly in a position to order Henry to do what Spain wants, even if they can sort of dangle the marriage over, over him. A quote from Isabella, quote, Since Henry declares it to be utterly impossible for him to begin war with France, he is to be no further pressed on the subject but he must assist Spanish vessels at sea. They probably bide his time and by degrees obtain further advantages from Henry. The more preparations for war are made in England, the greater will be the offers which the King of France will make to Henry. If war between England and France should be declared, Henry will force the King of France to accept his conditions, unquote. So she seems to have calmed down a bit and accepted <laughs> that... She... <laughs> if Henry says no, you know, what can be uh, do about it? <laughs> 1497. The first proxy wedding in August. This one was celebrating the betrothal. Uh, uh, Catherine of Aragon and Prince Arthur were formally betrothed at the Palace of Woodstock, and de Puebla stood proxy for Catherine. He took Arthur's hand in his, he sat at the king's right hand at dinner, and he stuck his gouty leg into the marriage bed as the customs decreed. Ah, creepy! I mean, they, they didn't decree that it should be gouty, but they, yes, that was. <laughs> Charles Tremlett, who wrote a book on Catherine, described de Puebla as coy and somewhat overwhelmed, while Thomas Penn in The Winter King said that he played his part with gusto. So, you know, take your pick. <laughs> oh, dear. De Pueblo was piggy in the middle in the Perkin affair. Isabella wrote to him to quash the rumours that she had been in correspondence with Perkin, saying that although he had written to her, as had Margaret of Burgundy, she had not replied to Perkin and had only replied to Margaret to say that she considered the whole thing as a joke, a reply which didn't please Margaret, as we know. And Henry wasn't convinced and said that they were in cahoots with, quote, him of York, unquote. Now it seems even odder that Henry should call him him of York. De Puebla reported that conversations touching on the boy who calls himself Plantagenet called forth from Henry his most emotional outbursts and his wildest suspicions of other people's motives, including Ferdinand and Isabella's. And we wouldn't know this if it weren't for De Puebla, because Henry kept up this pretense of not being bothered all the time, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd always say, who are we talking about? Oh, yeah, Puebla, oh, yeah, 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 right. him, Com- completely slipped my mind. <laughs> it's only through de Puebla that we know his true mind and I feel that Henry is completely torn by all this he wants to trust Spain because he hasn't got anybody else 
True. And yet he has these this terror, probably night terrors, that they too are against him and are using Perkins to their own ends, which they are in some ways. Yes. Many ways. <laughs> Ferdinand and Isabella had agreed with Henry that they would try to get Perkin and would hand him over to Henry. But here's a twist. It was de Prebler's idea, and one that he spent some time persuading them about, to catch Perkin and keep him, so that he they, he could be used as a bargaining chip. Oh, so he's the one that suggested he go to Spain. Yes. Ah. Mm. Now, that doesn't sound like someone who's gone native and was siding with Henry. No, it really doesn't. He told Ferdinand and Isabella, quote, Do not doubt this. You would have absolute control of things here if you had in your hands he who calls himself the son of Edward, unquote. On Perkins' capture, Henry wrote to de Puebla that his prisoner, quote, will be brought with us on our return, which we think will be very shortly. Then you will be able to see him, unquote. And de, de Puebla must have been quite irritated by this if his <laughs> plan was that you should go to Spain. <laughs> He'd have to, have to sort of say, oh, lovely, great, well done. Great. Fantastic. Mm. And I wondered if Henry or, did suspect Spain's motives, and that's why he thought... <laughs> I'll, show, I'll show him to take Puebla. Ha! <laughs> In June, de Puebla wrote to Ferdinand and Isabella to tell them that Henry still didn't know what to do with his prisoner. And that's when Perkin is sort of wandering around the court. I wrote, I besought your highness as many days ago to write your opinion and advice about what the Lord King ought to do about this Perkin business. Perkin, now, your highness is no doubt have some reason an impediment have never to this day sent word about it nor written any other thing, and has caused me pain because I am sure the Lord King would do whatever your highnesses direct, unquote. And when Perkin was a prisoner at Henry's court, he was very often quite chatty with de Puebla. Yeah, but he was dumb. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it's been suggested that the two men found a bond because they were both reviled outsiders, but... <laughs> It's possible. I mean, Perkin was, must have been a very charismatic person. Must be nice to talk to. <laughs> but I don't know. That seems a bit fanciful to me. I suspect that de Puebla talked to him because that was his job. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but Perkin told him about the voyage to Cornwall. And de Puebla checked the story with other sources. For some reason, he didn't feel compelled to believe everything that Perkin said. But it's through de Puebla that we know that Perkin hid in a barrel. And that the crew swore to the English captain that they oh. didn't know anything about him. Never heard of him. Who? And where's his wife? I still want to know. Was she and her children? <laughs> or, sorry, the supposed children in barrels too? They had little mm. mini kegs. <laughs> <laughs> Firkins. Little Firkins, so called. But I thought it was a pity that Dave Prebler didn't write a history of Perkin because he could have cleared so much up. Yes. yes. A nice touch at the end of the year. On the 14th of December, Henry wrote to Isabella, quote, has heard that de Puebla has been reproached for his remissness in his business, gives his royal word that he has never seen an ambassador so industrious, vigilant, true and adroit in all negotiations entrusted to him as de Puebla, begs them not only not to believe the calumnies against de Puebla, but also to reward him by, by some special and liberal favour, unquote. They could start by paying him. That would be the first... Yeah. First favour they could do him. 1498. Isabella remained nervous about the Perkin affair, worrying that the imposter might unseat Henry. Henry knew of her concern, and when Perkin first fled, 
and was then recaptured in 1498, he made sure that de Puebla was informed immediately. He was he made sure that Puebla was informed of his recapture. He didn't actually tell him it escaped. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't sure whether that just wasn't time or whether Henry just thought, oh, God. <laughs> no one mentioned it to de Puebla. Yes. We'll get him back. <laughs> and then we'll tell them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Henry told de Puebla that Perkin was in the tower, quote, where he was seized neither sun nor moon, unquote. And de Puebla wrote to Ferdinand and Isabella, advising him that Perkin was now, quote, now secured in such a manner and in such a prison that with the help of God, he will never be able to play such a trick again, unquote. Henry interv interviewed Perkin in front of de Puebla, and de Puebla thought him much altered, Quote, I and other persons here believe his life will be very short, unquote. When we talked about that before, I assumed that de Puebla meant that Perkin was looking ill mm -hmm. and being beaten up. But, but de Puebla maybe could have had an inkling, or more than an inkling, that Henry wouldn't allow him to live or wouldn't be allowed to allow, allow him to live. Which is true. He's been nothing mm. but trouble. Yes. <laughs> I think I've got more sympathy with Perkin than you have. I don't have sympathy with Perkin. <laughs> I quite like him. You're I think. a liar. <laughs> You're an out-and-out -out liar. He's You're... a chancer. <laughs> but he's, he's put so many people in trouble and out he of has. sorts and out of money. And his poor wife. Yeah. I just feel that he got in out of his depth very quickly. Immediately. And I thought, yes. <laughs> I thought, there's no going back. I can't. What have I oh, done? No, no, it was a joke. It was a joke. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, probably he's saying to Margaret Burgundy, saying, yeah, she's right. That Isabella, she's right. It is a joke. I am a joke. Please, let me <gasps> oh, go home. God. <sighs> de Puebla was taken by Henry to see Perkin in the tower for a reason. And it was partly to reassure Ferdinand and Isabella that Perkin was indeed securely imprisoned. But also part of Henry's speech to Perkin was to tell him that the Pope, the King of France, Archduke Philip, Maximilian and the King of Scotland had been deceived and only Henry himself and the Spanish monarchs had seen through him. And this um, de Puebla dutifully sent back to Ferdinand and Isabella, as he was meant to. July, two characters from Spain turned up, the Knight Commander of Lodonio and the Sub-Prior of Santa Cruz were in London, evidently to report on de Puebla. They're spying on him. Presumably Ferdinand and Isabella weren't swayed by Henry's lovely testimonial. But did de Puebla understand why these men were in England? It doesn't seem like it. Really? Yeah, de Puebla wrote... He's writing to um, Ferdinand and Isabella. Quote, Don Pedro de Ayala left Scotland nine months ago and still shows as little inclination to return as on the first day and is continually causing him incredible troubles. It would take long to tell all the acts of Don Pedro, but they will certainly not think that they are well served by Don Pedro. All his remonstrance... Remonstrance... 
<laughs> remonstrances. There we go. All his remonstrances being of no avail, he has asked Londonio and the subprior to speak to Don Pedro. Don Pedro has promised to leave very soon, but delays <laughs> his departure from one day to the next. He took leave a long time ago of the king and has received his purse of nobles, nobles being a coin. It is therefore scandalous of him to stay longer. Yet Don Pedro, only the other day in the presence of Londonio and the subprior, took new lodgings and bought provisions of wood and wine. <laughs> He's never leaving. No. <laughs> I like it here. <laughs> yeah. Have you tried the beer in Scotland? <laughs> Have you seen the weather? It's cold. <laughs> Um, the public carries on. There'd be no hope of his leaving London if his officers and servants were not implicated in so many street fights and scuffles. <laughs> <laughs> a short time ago, Don Pedro himself received a blow from a brick on his arm in a fight of his servants. Last week, the servants of Don Pedro attacked some Englishmen, one of whom has since died. I went to see the corpse buried. That's nice, you see. Yeah. Teo Yela does the fighting. Teo Puebla goes, goes and pays his respects. <laughs> I am so sorry that this happened. <laughs> Please, we're not all the same. Not no. all Spaniards are the same. <laughs> the police arrested one of the servants of Don Pedro. If the king had not interceded, the man would probably have been hanged. Afterwards, the chaplain of Don Pedro, a Scotchman, was arrested for killing an Englishman and sent back to Scotland. Oh, yeah. Uh, it is true, <laughs> as God is the truth, that it would be a great advantage if Don Pedro de Ayala was sent away, unquote. <laughs> This may be well, acceptable in Scotland. It's not acceptable when I'm here. Yes. How dare you? Get out! Well, Antonio and the subprior did write to Ferdinand and Isabella about De Ayla, but not in the way that De Puebla had hoped for. <laughs> no! <laughs> Quote, could get no information respecting Scotland except from Don Pedro De Ayla, who is staying in London in order to recruit his health. Besides, his being in England is beneficial for the dispatch of business. Oh, dear. I know, this <laughs> no, is <it's> painful. <laughs> the treaties he has concluded are very profitable to all parties, and Henry is perfectly satisfied with them, for he has said so. Don Pedro is held in much honour, spends much, and has even got into pecuniary difficulties. So that implies this, this is a good. this is what an ambassador should do. <laughs> Not having received his salary for the last year. See, they, he, he's got them asking for his money. Oh, no my goodness. No one's, no one's asking for De Puebla's money. His presence in England is very advantageous because he is on good terms <laughs> with the king and the whole court. He knows England well, but Scotland still better. He is, in fact, the only man who knows Scotland. All others look on the Scotch only as their enemies and flying into a passion as soon as the name of Scotland is pronounced have asked Don Pedro to send detailed description of England and Scotland to Spain, unquote. Then they write about De Puebla. Uh-oh. Quote, The doctor, De Puebla, is in such a state of irritation with Don Pedro de Ayala that has been the course of many disagreeable scenes which are notorious in England. There's no remedy for it. De Puebla cannot bear any other ambassador. He's been unable to, to conceal his fear and distrust towards them though he's been told that his services are fully appreciated in Spain. Have observed that he is a great partisan of the King of England. He magnifies everything that relates to England as much as possible. He thinks that the affairs of the King of England are to be considered as more important than any other prince. Well, that is sort of his job. He is in England. 
King Henry said that he is very well satisfied with de Puebla, who's a good servant of the King and Queen of Spain, and that no other ambassador could conduct the negotiations as well as he does, adding that he makes these observations only in order to recommend de Puebla to his masters. Suspect, however, that de Puebla had begged the king to speak of him in that way, as de Puebla had gone alone to the palace the day before, and had not liked to accompany them the next day. So he's primed the king to say, we, but we all love de Puebla. Yeah. Hmm. The king is certainly satisfied with de Puebla, not because he thinks he's a good man or a good servant of the king and queen of Spain, but because he carries on negotiations rather in the interests of England than of Spain, unquote. So who wrote that? That is Londonio and the um, sub-prior of Santa Cruz sending back their reports on de Ayala and de Puebla back to Ferdinand and Isabella. So does... De Puebla thought that they were going to send back his... A favourable report of him. Well, I don't know if they thought he thought that, but he certainly thought that they would be saying, yes, take Dayala away, he's a damn nuisance and everybody hates him. But they said that he's never gotten along with other ambassadors. Yes. So is this something that's true in his previous times as an ambassador? I'm not sure. We know he doesn't get on very well with... Um, Mendoza. I was thinking of Fuenzalida. Fuenzalida, yeah. Mm. But it could be that they are all anti-Semitic. Right. Yes. But they go on. This goes on for quite a while because it just... I, I put it all in because it just snowballs. Oh, dear. <laughs> it does. Quote, De Puebla is a quarrelsome intriguer. He's disliked <laughs> by the Spanish merchants in England. They say he could easily have induced Henry to abolish the extra duties imposed upon them when the last treaty was concluded. The king was then in such difficulties that he would not have refused even half of his revenues if De Puebla had asked it. But De Puebla is more an agent of the exchequer of the King of England than, than ambassador of Spain. He is under such subjection to Henry that he dared not say a word, but what he thinks will please the king. The Spanish merchants had told them all this without being asked. Oh, yeah. Oh, Intend to send complaints of the merchant in writing, unquote. In fact, Henry had written to Ferdinand and Isabella telling him that de Puebla was been banging on and on about the duties on the Spanish merchants. <laughs> Would he stop? <laughs> all right, I literally please heard stop. you. Yes, just, just please stop. And it goes on, there's a character called Dr. Peter Panic, who sounds to me like an alter ego of a Marvel comic hero. <laughs> He's a privy councillor of Henry. I don't know who he is. When I looked him up, I just got a soft software designer. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Lontanio and, uh, and Santa Cruz go on and say, this man, Peter Panic, has transacted business with de Puebla and asked them whether he'd been sent to superintend the affairs of the King and Queen of Spain or those of the King of England or his own. He added that de Puebla had conducted the business of Spain very badly Many things have been left entirely to his decision, and he has not decided them to the favour of Spain. This has especially been the case with respect to the marriage. Henry was then in the midst of difficulties with Scotland and Perkin. The Cornish rebels were in arms against him and had even advanced within a few leagues of, the, of London. If any other man had been ambassador to Spain, Ferdinand and Isabella could have dictated conditions to England. In fact, Dr Panic says Henry is indebted for his crown to Spain because as soon as the marriage was known to be concluded, all became quiet, unquote. <clears throat> he then goes on. 
Quote, De Pueblo is a liar, a flatterer, a calumniator, <laughs> a beggar, and does not seem to be a good Christian, unquote. Oh, ouch. Yeah. Ouch. And this one we know. Quote, a Spaniard, brought up and married in England, is a porter to the Queen of England. He said that some time ago the king was living at a palace about a quarter of a league distance from the town in which De Pueblo was staying. De Pueblo went every day with all his servants to dine at the palace (laughs) (laughs) and continued his unasked for visits during the space of four or five months. The queen and the mother of the queen sometimes asked him whether his masters in Castile did not provide him with his own food. On another occasion, when the king was staying at another palace, there was a report that De Puebla was coming. The king asked his courtiers, for what purpose is he coming? And they answered, to eat. (laughs) And the king laughed at the answer, unquote. (laughs) Quote, The English consider themselves a little slighted because such honourable ambassadors have been sent to Scotland and to other countries while the ambassador to England is such a man as De Puebla. Oh, dear. Unquote. (laughs) (laughs) Quote, De Puebla had asked Henry to give a bishopric to him and other good livings to his sons and relatives. On account of the king having refused to do so, he, De Puebla, had delayed the conclusion of the Treaty of the Marriage. Henry had answered that he was unfit to become a bishop because he was a cripple, unquote. In fact, we know Henry offered him the bishopric. Yes. Which makes me think these people had such a downer on De Puebla. They just believed everything. Wow. Wow. Quote. De Puebla constantly complains that he's badly paid and he begs money from the king and the gentlemen of the court. He lives meanly. He has been three years in the house of a mason who keeps dishonest women. Uh He eats with them and with all the apprentices at the same table for tuppence a day. His landlord robs men who comes to his house, and the ambassador protects him in his dishonest trade against the police. The consequence of all this is that the Spaniards are the less esteemed and worse treated in England than other foreigners, unquote. Is that likely? I don't... He's living in a brothel? <sighs> I couldn't say yes or no. Hmm. I found they finished their letter. Quite a long letter. Quote... Don Pedro de Ayala lives like a gentleman and is much beloved by the king, by the people and by foreigners, even by the king of Scots, who esteems him like a father. Well, that's, yeah, that's fair enough. No one in England contradicts them, except de Puebla, who wishes to turn him out of England. There's not a single person in England who speaks ill of the one or well of the other. Unquote. So... It's beginning to look, rather than a Deaela being thrown out of England, as De Pueblo had hoped. Yeah, it would be him. <laughs> yes. And I don't know whether De Pueblo knows that, that he's writing all this, or whether he's still carrying on a friendship with these two dodgy characters. I don't know. I don't like them. They're picking, <laughs> picking on him, and I don't yes. like them. <laughs> De Pueblo wrote to Ferdinand and Isabella and said... He, quote, kisses their hand for the favours promised him. If they and their council knew what industry and with what sacrifice of private interests and with what honesty he has served, they would double the amount of their favours. Which did not say, but double nothing is nothing, isn't it? So, <laughs> <laughs> begs them to give him enough to have always something to eat. 
does not wish to save money, is ready to serve in England or in the Privy Council of Spain, wishes to return to Spain and to explain all he has done in England. His health suffers much and there's no recovery to be hoped for as long as he remains in England. Begs that his salary may be paid him. At the beginning of the year, 1497, they promised him a salary of 100,000 Merivedes? Merivedes? For know. life. Sounds like a lot, anyway. Whatever it is, 100,000. He has not received a penny of this allowance, unquote. So, oh, poor de Puebla. Poor de Puebla. And there, with what I see as a terrible miscarriage of justice, <laughs> we'll leave de Puebla and come back to him next week, where we'll see Catherine of Aragon and Donna Elvira wade in with their insults and demands to oh, be sent home. <laughs> So if we think these two dodgy characters from Spain were cruel to De Puebla, it just gets worse. Mm, it's not comfortable. No, I felt so bad for him. But it only gets worse. So. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> but I did like that letter because it just they just kept saying, oh, and another thing, and another thing, and another thing. Yeah, and he lives in a brothel, and he lives in a Yeah. Really? Are you, you're just believing everything everyone tells you. Yeah. And chances are, I'm I'm assuming, because I'm definitely Team De Puebla, that De Aila might have got there first and told these people what to say. Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yes. Oh, and t tell, them, tell them I live like a gentleman and, <laughs> and a lovely to everybody. <laughs> Whereas he lives in a brothel, and he's Jewish. Uh, yeah. This is one of those times where you wish you could be a fly on the wall to determine what it actually was like. Yeah. I mean, possibly it's all true. And everyone's saying, take him home. He's not working for you. He's working for Henry. Yeah. But then other times you think, well, he wouldn't have suggested to Ferdinand that he steal Perkin and hide him away and use him as a bargaining chip. Yeah. Hmm. It's one of these, oh, I don't know, it's a sort of infuriating historical things, but also what makes history so interesting is not knowing. Yes. And both <laughs> opinions, opinions can be true, but you can't break up facts like that and say, yes, he's living in a brothel or no, he's mm. living in a friar's. Yes. <laughs> I don't know whether he might have, he might have moved into friars, Austin friars later. After the brothel um. got out. <laughs> Anyway, we will see him again next week. Part two. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.